The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Just a word of warning. Today's scripture passage contains some graphic content that might not be suitable for particularly sensitive younger ears. And so we just encourage parents to use discernment as to their children's capacity to hear these words and welcome you using the nursery should that be a concern for you. The prophet was a thorn in the king and queen's side. Every time they would hold a ribbon cutting ceremony to unveil the latest feat of architectural strength and rule and power. Every time they would have this ceremony from well beyond the walls of the city, you could hear the prophets, boo. It seemed the more effort the king put into silencing him, the louder he got and the larger his following became. Every time the king made a chess move to gain control of the center of Israel's board, this prophet would make a counter move. Shouting to the people, take a bath. You're a filthy mess. Get ready. A better king is coming than this one. Enough was enough when the prophet's cleanup message got personal for the king. As he said, God's king doesn't steal his brother's bride. God's king doesn't make his niece his wife. Take a bath. You're a filthy mess. Get ready, Herod. A better king is coming. The king and the queen thought, we will stop him from exposing all of our royal skeletons. We will stop him from preaching another public word. We will stop him once and for all. But now, the boo they heard outside the city walls was sounding more like a ghost. Boo, boo. Because mighty works were coming from the north, from the hands of John the Baptist's cousin Jesus and his followers. Sick are being healed. Demons are being exercised. Dead are being raised. Herod's heart is sinking as John the Baptist's message with a sermon titled, Death is the Way to Life, is somehow, somehow being preached beyond the grave. We thought we had him stopped. We thought we had him silenced. We thought we had his head severed from his body. How can this be? A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. King Herod heard of the works of Jesus and his disciples, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. This is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he's a prophet like the, one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. 
For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against John and wanted to put him to death. But she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came, a well-timed day came, when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and his military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias's daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to her, give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to a half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And her mother said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When John's disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is God's word. The gospel of Mark is all about Jesus, right? Who he is, what he's able to do. Except in two places where it's about John the Baptist. The first mention of John the Baptist comes at the beginning of Mark as John is preparing a way with a message of a kingdom coming. The second mention of John the Baptist comes now in Mark 6, as John the Baptist will foreshadow the way in which the kingdom will come through death. The prophet is forging a path which would make way for the king. And the prophet, in word, has been preaching that sinners turn from the sin which leads to death and live. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And now the prophet, indeed, in his actions, is demonstrating the way which will lead to life through sacrificial death. John the Baptist is called by Jesus the greatest prophet. Because in his life and in his death, you will most clearly see the king. What does a prophet 
John, along with all of the prophets of the Old Testament, what are they doing? Let me read you just a poem from an anonymous source, which I think helps capture the role of a prophet. Prophets are not particularly pleasant people. It is their function to unsettle, to disturb, to criticize, and to convert. The reaction of established authorities to prophets' voices is usually not pleasant either. Some prophets they rebuke, some prophets they suppress, and some prophets they crucify. Herod Antipas was the established authority in Galilee. Herod is the son of Herod the Great, who was known for the slaughter of babies at Jesus' birth. Antipas is his son. And Herod Antipas is making a run at being king over the Jews and over Israel. He wasn't necessarily as bloodthirsty as his father Herod the Great was, but he was equally as power-hungry. He was a kingdom builder, but not a kingdom of heaven builder, a kingdom of the world builder, and usually in the form of buildings. He was responsible for the renovation of the temple in Jerusalem. Why? Why was he restoring the temple? So that he could win favor with the people as a good and righteous leader. Self-righteousness. He could promote himself as the successor to his father's throne. Self-promotion. And he could preserve himself by cutting out of the picture anyone who stood in his way to power. Self-preservation. The path of Herod Antipas is a path that's in each one of us. In our kingdoms of self. Where we try to fool ourselves and others that we are better than we are. Where we try and promote ourselves at the expense of others. Or where we try and preserve ourselves in order that we could reign a little bit longer. But the prophet's path, it's a path that's completely different. It's a path that would be labeled this. Death is the way of life. And it's a path that every prophet, those who came before Jesus, and every disciple, those who follow after Jesus, are asked to walk upon. Death is the way of life. And the path John is led on, and eventually where King Jesus will lead, he's asking us this morning, will you follow what do we have to believe in order to follow on this path? We can take the path that says death is the way of life because Christ's love is so much better than life. What does dying on this prophet's path look like for us? Well, the first leg of the path 
You'll find in verses 14 to 18. And it says, die to your self-righteousness. Herod and Herodias, the queen, are hearing the boos of John as he declared them not good. Not good for doing what you're doing. John the Baptist was not afraid of offending the ruling power of the day because he knew what was going on in their political scheming. They were trying to appear righteous and good to the Jewish people. Who rebuilds a temple? Maybe it's a Messiah. They might, the people might be thinking. Herod's gut is sinking because his attempts at looking good after trying to shut John's mouth, are coming back to haunt him. John had made his message clear. You're a terrible king and queen. You divorced out of lust or convenience. You married a relative that God's law says you cannot marry. You're a terrible ruler. And so the king and queen, they shut him up. But his message of sucker punch truth is coming back to haunt them as Jesus and his disciples are proving the prophet to be true. A better king is coming. A king who actually has power to do something more than build a few big buildings. A king who actually has power over evil, sin, and death. Why didn't Herod repent from his marriage. Herod wasn't wanting to lose street cred by repenting of his ungodly marriage. It would make him look bad. He wasn't willing to admit he wasn't good. It would lose approval ratings. He was all about preserving his self-righteousness. But John, the prophet, saw the death to self-righteousness as the path toward life. Because what was John constantly crying out? Repent! Repent! We're all really bad. Repent! Admit you're worse than you think. Take a bath in God's promise of forgiveness. John the Baptist wasn't concerned what it cost him. He knew his need as a sinner who needed saving. He needed not to play himself off as innocent or righteous. John could die to that desire. He knew he needed help in his sin. People thought John was crazy out there in the wilderness eating locusts and honey and wearing a potato sack. But the prophet knew his own need for saving for how long? Ever since he was in his mother's belly. When he leapt for joy in his mother's belly. When his cousin Jesus in his mother's belly met him. The prophet needed the people to know that Jesus, the one he leapt for, not Herod, was God's king coming to bring salvation. He called out the people's self-righteous leader by declaring him, Herod, a sinner. We don't have to look far to see the prophet's path, the call to die as a way of life. In calling out sin among established leaders of our day. Beth Moore, she's a best-selling Christian author and a teacher in the Southern Baptist camp. 
was becoming more and more uneasy with the political campaign that touted Donald Trump being a representative for Christian values. She began shining a light on public statements made by Trump, particularly in his treatment of women, and said, like John, it's not okay with God for you to say and do these things to women. And the more she preached this message out loud, the more she found she was becoming alone in this message. A prophet's path is not a path of gain. It's a path of loss. As she stepped away from her publisher, as she stepped away from her denomination that she knew for her whole life, and she lost millions of sales in her material for saying these things out loud. Anytime you push against the message that says people are inherently good or righteous on their own, you're going to pay a price. No one ever enjoys admitting they're a sinner, let alone being called out for it. But dying to our self-righteousness is doable. We can be willing to lose street cred. We can be willing to lose public popularity or profits or our jobs or even our lives in admitting we're sinners and we are unrighteous because our only righteousness is Jesus. His righteousness is not only better, His righteousness is the only righteousness to be found. People might be displeased when you admit you're wrong or you're a sinner. People might be displeased with that. But God never will. In fact, the prophet's path says it's a way of life to say you're a sinner. To say, I'm wrong and Christ is right. We die to self-righteousness. Which leads us to the second leg of the journey. We die to self-promotion. Look at verses 19 to 23. As we focus in for a moment on Herodias. Why do you think she might have left her husband Philip to marry Antipas? Personal promotion. Antipas was gaining much more political ground. It's a game of thrones. Like when someone wins the lottery, ever seen that happen? Friends start to come out of the woodwork. Oh, hey, how you doing? Herodias is now placing her bets on what she thinks to be a better horse. So when John began to threaten her odds of winning... A grudge match began between her and John. And the only linchpin to win this fight, Herodias believed, was her husband's weakness. Herod had kept John alive as a little plaything for him. Go down and talk to him in prison, have a little good theological sparring with him. And he also kept him alive to ensure that the people didn't get mad at him. 
But self-promotion involves someone else having to lose. If one person is climbing to the top of human power, it will certainly be on the backs of someone else. So look what Herodias does in promoting herself. She powers up by using Herod's weakness to gain strength herself. On a well-timed day, Herod's birthday, verse 21 says, she taps into his lust, his libido, his love for the limelight, and his love for liquor in order to get her way. She even abuses her own daughter, manipulating her to perform an erotic dance for her stepfather. Until she hears those magic words come out of Herod's drunken mouth in the presence of a lot of witnesses who've been invited to his birthday orgy. I will give you anything you want up to half of my kingdom. It's a really ironic statement from Herod because he doesn't have any kingdom right now. And Herodias is thinking, if John keeps me from going up, then John is going down. But notice what the prophet's path looks like in these verses. What do we hear about John all the while? What's he saying? What's John refuting? What's he saying? See his words? Saying nothing. Like a sheep before its shears is silent, he's not opening up his mouth. We see John in the face of his killers saying nothing. No self-promotion. No, no, but I didn't do anything wrong. Silence. Because John has been given confidence that his work on earth is done. He may have been in prison. He was in prison having his doubts. John was. Dark places do that to us. He asks his followers in another gospel in Luke 7 from prison, can you ask Jesus, are you sure you're the better king? And Jesus sends word back to John saying, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame, they're walking. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf, they're hearing. The dead are raised to life. The poor have good news preached. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. And John hears those words and realizes, ah, that's the better king. The better king isn't about self-promotion. The better king is about the promotion and well-being of sinners and sufferers. That's the better king out there working. And so John can rest and be silent knowing better king is going to win the war. Herod's birthday becomes John's death day. I heard a story this week about a friend of mine who encountered a violent road rager. If you've ever been a road rager or the victim of a road rager, road rage is all about self-promotion, isn't it? Because rage comes when self-promoters are being blocked or hindered. And my friend was driving his child to school 
A man, impatient and raging over not getting ahead of him, was blaring his horn and blaring his hand with anger. And on a residential street, the rager hit the gas and passed my friend, hitting his car. And my friend pulled over, and so too did the rager. And in a moment of clarity, of dying to self-promotion, my friend took off his glasses and faced the rager, waiting to be struck. And guess what happened? Bam! To the ground, my friend went. He got back up again, looked at the man, and again, bam, to the ground he went. What gave my friend the ability to stand up in the face of that kind of self-promotion? A willingness to die to self-promotion. He looked at that man's interest, not his own, as he locked eyes with him and said, Dude, what are, you, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? The prophet's path is death to self-promotion. No chest pumping, pumping or puffing, whatever it is. No manipulating others with violence or sex or deception in order to get what you want. The prophet's path is about what's best for the other person, for the kingdom, for the one who didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing so that then he would be promoted. Taking the beatings, taking the hits, and looking square in the eye of self-promoters like Herod Antipas or Pontius Pilate. Square in the eyes and saying, what are you doing? The path of dying to self Promotion. Which leads to the final leg of the prophet's path. Dying to self-preservation. And you see this in the final verses, 24 to 29. Herodias is asked the question she's been waiting for by her daughter. So what do I ask for? And without a pause, demands what she believes will guarantee her position of queen be preserved. The head of John the Baptist. I had to ask myself the question this week. Why beheading? Why the head? Why was that so important? Why not just have him hung or crucified or stabbed to death? Because beheading was the one capital punishment. I know it sounds kind of comical. Which could guarantee the person could not survive. Anytime you separate the head from the body, right, Jacqueline? It's certain that a person will be finished. The body cannot survive or live without the head. And Herod's love for his position, love for his need of public opinion, reared its ugly head as he looked at the birthday guests who heard him make the promise to his daughter and nodded. The ruling authorities have won. Herodias has preserved her little kingdom. She has won certain victory. The enemy who is in my way and my little kingdom is certainly defeated. But the path of the prophet says, in order to live, I need to die. The path to preservation doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from outside of ourselves. 
And as the disciples of John carry his body away, a statement ringing with hope concludes this account of the prophet's path. They placed his body in a tomb. Radical Muslims who want to preserve their place and their position of power over the past decade have used the media to make a gruesome statement of certainty. They, with cowardly coverings over their face and man-made guns held in their hands, will broadcast beheadings of rebels, infidels, Christians, to declare their position is preserved. They will not and they cannot be crossed. And it's an awful, terrorizing picture of evil and the depths of man's depravity as they behead a person on camera. But it's also a promise. It's a promise that an enemy might be able to remove a Christian's physical head in order to preserve their position of power. But friends, they will never be able to remove our head, Jesus Christ, from his seat of power. Our better king took the prophet's path toward the cross. Our better king crushed the head of all the forces of evil with a victory cry that said, It is finished. All of the prophets which came before Jesus and all of the disciples and martyrs which follow after him can look at the executioner's knife and say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ, my head, who lives within me. And the tomb which they placed the prophet in was the tomb which the king emerged from, declaring, in my death I gave them life, and in my life they're no longer dead. Die to self-preservation and live to Christ's preservation of you forever and ever and ever and ever. Just some final applications to the self-righteous. Those today who are being confronted with your sin and you're maintaining an attempt to keep silence to that sin, the only person you're fooling is yourself. Die to finding any good in your public reputation or in yourself. And live to finding that the only good which lives in you is Jesus. Give up trying to maintain your little kingdom of looking like a good boy or a good girl or a good leader or a good father or a good mother or a good son so that people will approve of you and live in the confidence that your approval, your well done, good and faithful servant comes only through Christ. So repent, admit your sin to God and to others that it's hurting. To the self-promoters who are using other people to get yourself ahead. Your marketing efforts of yourself will not help you get anywhere with God. Instead, die to believing that you're all that. And instead, live in the joy of loving the way you've been loved by making yourself less and making Christ and others around you more. Friends, the way up 
is the way down. Start fixing your eyes on Christ and others instead of yourself. Finally, to the self-preserving, excuse me, who are trying to make certain you don't lose your position or your health or your grip on power and relationships or even lose your life. Like John, be willing to lose your head. Die to your being the one who calls the shots and live with Christ himself, the king, as your head and as the one who calls the shots. The prophet's path, the one who came before Jesus, is our path. It's the disciple's path. Come and die. Die to your self-righteousness. Die to your self-promotion. Die to your self-preservation so that you and so that others might live. Let's pray.